0: This morning I direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we've been going through this great chapter in which the writer celebrates what is often referred to as the, those who are often referred to as the heroes of the faith. He had been discussing the value, the importance of faith in God And among the things we have seen so far in this chapter, as far as the importance of faith in God is concerned, we have seen that it is through faith that we understand our world. It is through faith that we are able to draw near to God in worship. It is by faith that we are able to walk with God, as seen in the life of Noah, This morning, we are considering the fact that it is through faith that we are able to navigate trials. And we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he would receive the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This account, of course, is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, and for us to appreciate the thrust of our main text here in the book of Hebrews, we need to then read, to refresh our memories, this event as found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. So you want to keep your fingers or piece of paper, whatever, between these two portions of Scripture. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, and this portion, Genesis 22, 1 through 18. We read in Genesis 22... Of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Looking back at this portion, the opening phrase after these things harks back to six tests, six previous tests that God had put Abraham through. And this seventh test, we would say, was the test, the test of all tests that Abram had ever faced. Among the considerations that made this command of God to Abram such a challenging one, such challenge to his faith, were these. First of all, this command given to Abraham struck at the very heart and center of his affections the poignancy of this command and its challenge to abram's faith can be detected in these words your son your only son whom you love offer him as a burnt sacrifice the command was clear God was demanding of Abraham that which was very near and dear to him, his one and only cherished son. And yes, Abraham had another son we know by the name of Ishmael. And for sure, it would have been a great challenge to his faith to even think of offering his son or any of his sons for that matter. But from the standpoint of this narrative, Isaac was his one and only cherished son. That's what the Word of God says. And how so? Because in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 19, as well as verse 21, as well as chapter 21 and verse 12, God had made it emphatically clear to Abraham that he would enter into covenant not with Ishmael, but with Isaac, Isaac specifically was to be that seed through whom all the nations of the earth was to be blessed, and because Isaac was the only son of Abraham, the only son he had begotten according to God's promise, according to God's supernatural power, Isaac was for all intents and purposes his only son. But then Isaac was Abraham's special son because he, as we know, was a son of his old age. Abraham had Isaac when he was 90 years, or rather 100 years of age. This was a son that God had promised him. This was a son for whom he had waited for as many as 25 long years. And now that God was commanding Abraham to slay his one and only cherished son, his one and only beloved son on the altar as a burnt offering, we can only imagine the magnitude of challenge it was to this man's faith. Second, not only was the command one that struck at the very heart and center, of Abraham's affection, but it was a command that seemed contrary to reason. By human reckoning, this command seemed totally irrational. You see, God was calling Abraham to offer up that very son in whom all the promises of God to Abraham were centered. And should Isaac be slain, that would certainly seem a glaring contradiction of God's promises and God's purposes with respect to Isaac's descendants as well as the nations of the world. This command of God to Abraham seemed contrary to reason because it would mean the destruction of the very one through whose line the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, would come we can see suggestion of that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. It was through Isaac's seed that Messiah, the Lord Jesus, would come as Redeemer. And so the promise that God gave to Isaac that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We would say if Abraham killed Isaac, it would mean the total destruction of that promise. Furthermore, were Isaac to be sacrificed, that would seem to square, uh, that's the opposite, would seem not to square with the integrity, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of God who had made this promise. From a human standpoint, what might have been going through Abraham's mind at this point? Abraham may have thought, after taking me and Sarah through such long period of waiting, 30 years, because from the time God had promised Abraham, this descendant of his in Isaac, the son of his, Abraham was 75 years, so we're talking about 25 years. He waited for Isaac. A few years had passed because by now Isaac was a teenager, and for God at this stage to ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac just did not seem to make sense. Abraham may have reasoned, am I hearing right? Why is God asking me to sacrifice the son I waited for so long? And humanly speaking, such questions are natural, but how in fact, the question is, how in fact did Abraham respond to this command of the Lord? Again, we refer to Genesis chapter 22, and the thing that strikes us first of all is the promptness of his obedience, the promptness of his obedience. Notice in verse 1 that no sooner had God summoned Abraham. No sooner had God called out to Abraham than Abraham's reply was, Here I am. Here I am. These words denote alertness. They are suggestive of availability. They speak of an attitude of willingness, of readiness to do God's bidding. The command of God in verse 2, verse 3 indicates how that Abraham moved at the earliest possible time. God evidently had spoken to him at night. It was not convenient. It was not practical for him to go right away. But for all intents and purpose, he did move promptly because we're told in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. This man was serious about obeying God He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Here we see that there was nothing of protest on Abraham's part. There was nothing of questioning, nothing of hesitation or delay in his response. His, we would say, was implicit unquestioning obedience to God's directive. His was dutiful obedience to God, despite what appeared to have been the strange, irrational nature of God's command. Not only was there the promptness in his obedience, promptness of his obedience, but secondly, we notice the perseverance of his obedience, the perseverance of his obedience. Look at verse 4. Word of God tells us, On the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes. He saw the place from afar. Here it was. This man, Abram, was determined to obey God. He had been traveling all of three days to the place where he was to sacrifice his son. And on the third day, He lifts up his eyes and he saw the place where Isaac was to be slain as God had commanded him. He saw it afar off, the Bible says. Faced with such a trying ordeal, how many would have thrown in the towel at this point and head back home? As one Bible teacher notes, he had ample time, that is Abraham, he had ample time in his three days journey to have reasoned himself out of his purpose and to have persuaded himself that there must have been some mistake. Three days he's traveling and it suggests there the perseverance of his obedience. He was intent, he was determined to obey God at all costs. But in this chapter of Genesis, we see not only the promptness of his obedience and the perseverance of his obedience, but thirdly, the preciseness of his obedience. The preciseness of his obedience. And we notice that in verses 6, 9, and 10. Look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together verse 9 when they came here it comes to the place which god had told him abraham built the altar there laid the wood in order bound isaac his son laid him on the altar on top of the wood verse 10 then abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son preciseness of obedience he did or he was in the process of doing exactly what god would have him do And similar to verse 3, here we see in verses 6, 9, and 10 that in his every move, Abraham was intent on doing God's will. We see clearly the very detailed, practical, preparatory steps Abraham took so as to ensure that God's will was done. So that as challenging as the command was, as challenging as this command may have been, Abraham set not only his mind and heart, but he Set his feet, his hands to obeying God. Now jump for, forward to our main text in Hebrews chapter 11. And there in verse 17, we read, By faith, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Well, that's where we stopped in Genesis. Now, the thing to note here is that although Abraham did not literally offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering, and why did he not literally offer him up? Because God stopped him. And although God stopped him, although Abraham had not literally slain his son, from the standpoint of the word of God, he did offer him up. He offered him up in principle. And you ask, how so? Because, you see, implicit in the narrative in Genesis chapter 22, by the time we get to verse 12, Genesis 22 verse 12, we get the idea that as God looked at Abram's heart, as God looked into the heart and mind of Abram, he saw his intent, he saw his willingness, he saw his readiness, his diligence with respect to obeying the command to offer up his son. God saw his heart. So that just at the point when Abraham was about to bring down the knife to slaughter his son, God stopped him in his tracks and God said to him in verse 12, Genesis 22, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This reminds us of what Paul told the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12. Paul was on the subject of giving. And Paul makes a very interesting statement there. He said to the Corinthian Christians, of course, the Corinthian Christians were being challenged to help the churches that were poor. They were in financial distress. And they never had really great wealth. But here's what Paul said to them. He says, For if the readiness is present, and by readiness he means willing mind, for if there is a willing mind, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Let me illustrate the point that I'm making here with respect to our text and what God did and how God saw Abraham. You have heard the saying, no doubt, especially when somebody receives a gift, and if the gift is not very, very impressive, what would be the response? It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Or you may hear the expression, the will is more than the deed. And beloved, this was the idea, this was precisely the idea of what the writer was getting at when he said Abram offered up his son. Because you see, from God's standpoint, as far as God's reckoning was concerned, when God looked at the heart of Abram, when God realized how intent he was on carrying out his command, his willingness, his readiness, his persistence in carrying out the will of God, God said, that's enough." Now I know you love me. Now I know you love me. So we have then the promptness of his obedience. He rose early in the morning and he went to the place where God directed him. We see in the text the perseverance of his obedience because he traveled all of three days and he lifted up his eyes. He saw the sight of off where he was to sacrifice his son Humanly speaking, he could have turned back, he could have changed his mind, he didn't. He pressed forward. He went to the place, he had the fire in his hand, the knife in his hand. Abraham was, we would say, precise in his obedience. But then we need to ask the question, what was the principle underlying his obedience? So this is our fourth point, the principle underlying his obedience. And here the question is, what was that factor which figured in Abraham's obedience to God? What was the underlying factor, the underlying principle of his obedience to the will and word of God? And The answer to that is found in verse 19. Here is what the word of God says. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Note those opening words of verse 19. He considered that God was able. Now, what does that remind you of? Remember how Sarah's faith enabled her to conceive at the age of 90? If you go back to verse 11, you will see how Sarah was unable to have faith in God. Verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received seed to conceive, even when she was past the age, since, here it comes, she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, do you see a parallel here? And the parallel is this. The point is, whereas the exercise of her faith, in the exercise of her faith, Sarah considered the faithfulness of God in the exercise of his faith, here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19, Abraham considered the power of God. He reckoned on God's ability, he reckoned on God's ability to raise Isaac from the dead. You see, Abraham's faithful and diligent obedience to God's command, challenging as it was, stemmed largely from this. Abraham reasoned that even if Isaac were to die, even if he slew his son, even if his son was slaughtered on the altar, God had the ability, God had the power to raise him from the dead. God had the power to bring him back from the dead. And he believed that God would surely do so because of his covenant purposes for Isaac, which entailed Isaac begetting descendants. Look, you see the reasoning? Abraham said, well, okay, God promised me the son. God is faithful. And if God's promise regarding Isaac is to be fulfilled, if Isaac is to have children, if through Isaac's descendant, a seed would come, the Messiah, and if I am to slaughter this son on the altar, therefore, the logical conclusion is God is going to bring him back from the dead. He considered that God was able to bring him back from the dead. And beloved, indeed, he had seen his aged wife Sarah conceive and give birth to Isaac at 90 years Of age. And perhaps he therefore reasoned that if God could move so mightily, so powerfully, so supernaturally in enabling Sarah to produce Isaac, then most certainly God could be trusted, should he slay Isaac, to bring back Isaac from the dead. If you ask the question, what was the proof that Abraham had strong faith in God? to bring back Isaac from the dead. The evidence is there in Genesis chapter 22. If you go back to Genesis 22, you see, for example, in verses 4 and 5, the Bible tells us that when he saw the place afar off where Isaac was to be sacrificed, he ordered his servant, listen to what he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Now, let me tell you, don't read this simply as some kind of ruse, as some kind of trick. We have to take the word of God at face value where it says that Abraham reasoned this thing out. He considered that God was able to bring back Isaac from the dead. So that when he says here, listen, you stay here, I and my son are going to go over, we're going to worship. Oh, by the way, and this is very important. It is easier said than done. But I want for us to notice a principle here. Abraham is undergoing a severe testing, right? He's undergoing a severe trial. The trial that concerns his affection for his son. He's being told to sacrifice his son, to give up his son. Now, naturally, that would leave us with what? Broken hearts. Um, But here's the point. Right in the midst of that ordeal... Abraham, notice, verses 4 and 5, is he has his heart and mind set, not so much on what will befall Isaac, as his worship of God. In the midst of his trials, in the midst of his ordeal, he is willing to worship God. You know that's a hard thing to do. It reminds us of Job in the midst of his trials. When Job had lost everything, the Bible tells us even that when his wife told him to curse God and die, and Job thoroughly re- refused her suggestion, the Bible tells us he rose up and he worshipped. That's faith. And that was what Abram was doing. He said, stay here with the donkey. I and the bull will go over there and worship and come to you. Here we see what tremendous faith in God this man Abraham had. He had faith in God as the God of resurrecting power. Now, as we said last week, that the doctrine of the afterlife was not exclusively, it's not a doctrine that is exclusively In the New Testament, the Old Testament saints knew of it. Abraham clearly believed in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, long before Abraham, the patriarch Job believed in the resurrection of the dead. You remember what Job declared in Job 19 verse 25? He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that on the latter day I I shall stand, he shall stand on the earth and though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God He says, I shall see him for myself and not another. And Abraham believed in the resurrecting power of God. And may I suggest to us, beloved, it was such faith in God, it was such faith in God, as the God of resurrecting power that sustained Abraham all the while he was making his way up to Moriah. And even to the point when he was bringing down the knife, to slay his son. His belief, his faith in the resurrecting power of God. Indeed, it was such faith by which he was able to overcome any temptation to let his affection for his son get in the way of obeying the will and word of God. And so Abraham, we could say, was able to pass this test. He was able to pass this test with flying colors, This test of love to God, this test of loyalty to God because of what he thought, because of what he considered regarding God. And that is very important. In fact, the Greek word that is used here in this verse for considered is a different Greek word from that which was used earlier for Sarah when when the Bible says that she considered him faithful. The word he uses here in verse 19 is the word from which we get our English word logic, which has to do with reasoning. So the point is this, Abraham reasoned, he thought carefully, he considered truths about God, and he came up with a conclusion. He came up with a conclusion that God was able to bring back his son from the dead. Oh, beloved, here we come to see once again that faith is not, faith is not essentially a matter of feeling. Faith is not some kind of irrational impulse. Faith is, we would say, a reason-thinking activity. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, listen, you can't follow reasoning when you're dealing with faith. Not entirely true. Not entirely true. Because Abraham reasoned this thing out. He put one and one together, and he came up with a conclusion that magnified the power of God. Faith is not some kind of irrational impulse. Faith is not make-believe. Faith, rather, we would say, is an activity in which one applies the mind to truths concerning God, truths which provide the warrant, the confidence to trust Him. And that's what faith is. Faith is founded on the facts of God's Word, which tells us who God is and what He is like. And that is very important for us to see. You see, Abraham, because of what he knew of God's power, because of what he knew of God's faithfulness, concluded that God could be trusted without fail. And so his response of obedience to God was not based on how he felt, but on what he knew and understood about god and the truth my friend is this to the extent that we know the truth of god's character the truth of god's power will be disposed to trust him a lack of faith in god oftentimes derive from what scarcity of knowledge concerning who god is if we are going to know what it is to trust god if we're going to know what it is to have faith in god We must, or faith in God, must be informed by the Word of God. Faith is not something that springs out of our hearts, out of our heads. It doesn't come about from a vacuum. Faith is founded on the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Scripture tells us Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 so the question for us this morning is this, when faced with trying situations, when faced with testing situations, situation of great testing, circumstances, which seem humanly uh, speaking to make no sense, the question is, do we resort to the Word of God? Or do we let our feelings, our emotions take over Driving us into panic. Do we let the word of God inform us as to who we are dealing with, the God we are dealing with? Or do we follow our impulses? Do we follow our emotions? Do we follow what's natural, our default reaction, and so be driven into panic? Abraham could have done that, but no. What did he do? He considered. He considered. He reasoned. What was the basis of his reasoning? Truths that he knew about God. Isn't this what the prophet Daniel says in Daniel chapter 11 verse 32? Daniel says this, the people that know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. Let me say, my friends, Abraham's faith in God, whereby he was willing to, To make such a great sacrifice to God's command, sacrifice of his son Isaac, in command to God, in response to God's directive, was not the product of a spontaneous impulse. It was no sudden, spur-of-the-moment feeling of devotion that moved him to such obedience. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to think, is to actually say, you know, when that situation comes, when that calamity comes, we are going to respond this way, we're going to have faith and trust in God, because it's just going to happen at that moment. It doesn't happen like that. This was no sudden spur of the moment feeling of devotion, it was no sudden spurt of impulse on Abraham's part. he says, he just jumped out there and said, you know, I'm going to just obey God. Let me make this point, Abraham could exercise such faithful obedience to God, could exercise such great faith in God. Why? Because throughout the years of walking with the Lord, Abraham had garnered an abundance of experience of God. Abraham had garnered abundant Evidence is that the God he knew and worshipped was the living, all-powerful God who could see him through any test, through any trial. I said at the opening, and I did not have time to go through them. That what we have in Genesis 22, you notice the opening line after these things. After what things? After the series of tests he had been through because he had been through six. The first of those tests was when he was asked to leave his country, his homeland, and his father's house. Another test was when the king of Sodom was offering him the spoils of battle. Abraham said, I've sworn to the Lord most high, the possessor of the earth, that I'll not even take a shoe latchet. In other words, God is going to be my provider. He had been through various tests and what happened, Abraham, of course, he slipped sometimes, he failed. But here's the point. All throughout those years, he was walking with the Lord. He was building his altar. Read the Genesis narrative. If he kept building these altars, he makes a mistake of going down to Egypt. He comes back. He goes back to Bethel where he pitched his altar, his tent at first, and he worships the Lord. His is a life of continual, consistent trust in God. He's passing the various tests. He's not perfect. He fails here and there. But the point is this, he's building up a reservoir of experiences of God's faithfulness. He has seen God's work, and here's the point that we are making. Abraham, we could say, was providentially prepared for this trial, this final testing of his faith by the previous crisis through which the Lord had taken him. And so as a man of proven, time-tested faith in God, Abraham was able to pass this final test, this seventh test, to the delight and glory of God. What's the lesson here for us, beloved? The lesson is this, that you and I do not pass testing and trials of of crisis proportion simply by sudden spur-of-the-moment impulse. If we are not walking with God, and I'm challenging myself as well this morning, if we are not being faithful to God in the little things, in the little crises we face, the little day-to-day trials we face, if we are not trusting the Lord, and if we are not seeing the Lord bring us through those situations as we trust Him, it is hardly likely that when the big moment comes, we are going to all of a sudden trust Him. It doesn't work that way. Faith begets faith. Typically, the way we come through critical times of testing from God is by proven, persistent faith in him and obedience to him over the long haul. That was true of Abraham. We also learn, beloved, that we come through critical times of testing from God, how? By reckoning, by considering truths, we derive from his word concerning who he is. The word of God is very important. Our walk with God is important, yes. The experience of our walk with God over the years, but also, first and foremost, the word of God As Walter Henriksen Henriksen rightly concludes, he says this, faith builds faith. The person who trusts God for the little things in life finds his confidence in God growing in proportion for the big things. Abraham's previous walk of faith prepared him for his willingness to offer his son Isaac. Let's consider finally the result of his test, this test that Abraham faced. Abraham, having proven the reality of his love for God, the text in Genesis lets us know that his son was spared from death, for God did not really require his sacrifice. What God really wanted to know was where his loyalty lay. The B part of verse 19 says that, of our text, says that figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. That was the reward of Abraham's faith. First of all, he had God's commendation. He had God's delight. Second, he got back his son. And how delighted Abraham must have been as he watched Isaac getting married, having children, having seen grandchildren around him. That was the reward of Abraham's faith in God, his obedience to God. Now, we have application this morning. I want to close with these questions. And I ask myself these questions, and you need to ask yourself these questions. The question is, in what do you trust when your circumstances seem to make no sense? When everything seems irrational, when you can make no sense of what's happening and the natural response is to panic, is to pull out your hair, is to go frantic, the question is, in what do you trust? Well, here's the point. If you're panicking, if I'm panicking, it shows that we're not trusting in God. We're trusting in ourselves. We are trusting in something else or in someone else. The question is, do we look to common sense? Do we look to human reason, mere human reason? Or do we trust in God? And the question is, how can we trust God if we do not know him? And how are we going to know him if we are not in his word? You see how important the word is? And then the final major question this morning, because this is what the text is all about, both in Genesis, but more so in Genesis. The big question is, who or what is priority in your life? Who or what dominates your affection? The question is, if God were to put you through the test today... And it was a test to determine where your loyalty lies. Would it be that your loyalty, your affection, is centered in yourself, in your son, your daughter, your spouse, your friend, your closest friend? We Remember those sobering words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 37. He said this, He who loves father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me, and he who love son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This test that Abraham faced beloved, was a test of his faith in God. It was a test of his loyalty to God, and more so, it was a test of his love, of his affection for God. Was it his son Isaac, or was it God, the Lord? who took center stage in his life. And Abraham proved beyond the shadow of the doubt what mattered most in his life. We need to look at our priorities because here's the point. Trials, testings, crises have a way of bringing out what is important to us. And the question is, should we be going through some major crisis? Would it be evident to ourselves? Would it be evident to others looking on that what's most important to us is God and our faith in him, our love for him. May God help us. May God grant the grace that we might love him above all else with our heart and soul, that should he touch something near and dear to us, we would be willing to say, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. So under the Spirit of God that can enable that, and may he grant that for his name's sake and for his glory. Amen.